Letizia Trendefier is the music and events director and magazine editor for Never Apart, and is also the organizer of the online speaker series, Conversations in Environmental Justice. We had the chance to speak with Letizia on the upcoming workshops and the importance of highlighting environmental justice and its many intersections. So to start, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Never Apart? Yeah, so my name is Leticia Trandafir. I am the music director and also sort of events coordinator, communications person, and magazine editor. We're a very small organization, so we kind of all wear uh, a few hats. Um, and Never Apart is a nonprofit organization which attempts to bring about social justice and spiritual awareness, kind of broadly defined, uh, via art, culture, and music events. So initially, I guess my role was was very music-focused, uh, organizing um, events, sort of parties, showcases, uh, workshops, uh, artist talks, kind of all around this, this music theme. But now with the pandemic, and also via my own interest in sort of expanding uh, what my mission and, and what I do there, uh, we've pivoted a little bit from the music stuff into more environmental stuff, which is still part of the the mission, but hadn't been fully developed um, into the programming. So I guess with the pandemic and the restrictions that that imposes on gatherings and all that stuff, it, it was kind of a moment where we, we sort of thought, okay, how are we going to continue to you know, make things happen. Uh, so my my personal interest in sort of environmental stuff kind of came to the forefront and I was like, why don't we just, you know, maybe my, my title might be music director, but let's just kind of expand what I'm doing and, and get into these other areas, which are, are I think, on a lot of people's minds. Um, so, you know, I think that, so Never Part uh, also has a strong queer component. People kind of know it as a space for a lot of, where a lot of queer art is shown and there's uh, various events around around uh, themes uh, related to the to the queer community. We've been around for five years and I've been working for uh, with them for, for three. So that's never part. You organized uh, an online speaker series, Conversations in Environmental Justice. Can you tell us a bit about the intention behind this series and why it's important to highlight at this time? Yeah, so as I was saying, sort of my, my kind of role there has kind of been put into question a little bit in terms of like how, how do I, you know, what kinds of things am, am I uh, going to do now that we don't have music events as a possibility. And I think that what came out of, it, so it was a series, I think, of compounding factors uh, that, you know, were happening around the world, the resurgence of massive social justice uprisings, against police violence, mass incarceration, uh, but also like the rising far right globally. Um, So uh, and also kind of just like what, you know, I think people were tuned in at this moment of, of course, a global pandemic uh, and also impending environmental crisis. So I think a lot of people who are artists and work in the art world, musicians, DJs, which are I also am uh, sort of an artist, DJ, etc. Kind of maybe we're like, okay, what is my role <laughs> right now in 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 this whole uh, in this whole global um, situation? So I think um, for me, what was really coming out of these discussions was that 
there's so many links between all, all of the things that are happening and that, um, you know, social justice uh, or sorry, environmental justice cannot really be discussed meaningfully without the social justice element. So the idea behind the series was kind of to bridge those things and, and make sure that they're being uh, sort of talked about and, 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 and uh, integrated with each other because... Uh, you know, domination, racial terror, colonial control, they all intersect um, and, and w with environmental destruction. And there's also the danger of like, if, you know, environmentalism can become sort of whitewashed and greenwashed and even worse can go into eco-fascist territory where the focus is like on population control versus, you know, as a solution to environmental problems. So I think to respond in a sort of nutshell to your question, like what's going on right now in the world, it felt like an important time to bridge the conversations that we might be having separately. Um, and of course that have been happening uh, for a long time among, among many people and activists and, and scientists and, and people on the ground. But I think uh, for me personally, it was a time to sort of, find a way to contribute to that by, uh, by inviting people who uh, have a meaningful um, contribution to environmental and social justice. Um, whether explicitly or not, it might just be like, you know, uh, people who have been working on this their whole lives and whose identity uh, is wrapped up in these questions because of how it all works. So... Um, so that was kind of the the impetus behind the series, and um, and also to because now everyone's kind of I guess more comfortable with Zoom and kind of attending conferences, and there's been an interesting sort of opening up of almost like citizen education uh, with all these conferences happening for free online, and so um, it's an interesting moment I think to offer sort of spaces of discussion and, and, and citizen education outside of academic circles um, for these things to be talked about and for people that you, we, might have had, we might not have ad, had access to if the pandemic hadn't happened because now, you know, everyone's at home. Uh, so people might be a bit more open to accepting invitations uh, that um, maybe before would have been a bit more complicated to make happen because people's people are busy and people especially people who are you know environmental activists and all you know so um so that that's kind of it yeah i i want to get into tomorrow's workshop but you already um had the i forget what it's called the first event <laughs> um can you tell us a bit about that and how it went and um mm -hmm. what yeah. Yeah. So the first event was the sort of kicking off of the series, the which is called Conversations in Environmental Just uh, Environmental Justice, um, and it was with Anuradha Rao, who is a conservation biologist from um, uh, out uh, out west, and who works with. Uh, she wrote a book called One Earth, P uh, People of Color Defending the Environment. And her work is very much about bridging environmental justice and uh, social justice and uh, sort of highlighting the, the, the contributions and the voices of BIPOC uh, 
people in the work of environmental conservation and environmental activism. And that was really wonderful. It was um, based around uh, her book. She read some passages. And uh, there was a really nice discussion happening in the chat about, you know, about different things people have in their, you know, are thinking about right now. You know, one thing that came out, came out is, um, you know, what are the most important things that we can focus on right now? How do we maintain hope? Things like that. So Anu, Anu Radha was uh, a really wonderful first speaker because she's very generous with her words, her work, and uh, very engaging as a presenter who made use of, of Zoom in, in quite creative ways, you know, kind of asking people to engage in different activities, like turn your camera on if you've experienced this, turn your camera off. So it was it was really uh, a nice way to sort of start the talk uh, or the series um, and set the tone for like, you know, this is what we're discussing in the in the series. And, and we're going to be talking about, you know, um, how environmental uh, issues are very much intersected by um, by social justice issues and uh, and issues around you know who is at the forefront and at the front lines uh, not only of receiving the or or being um, uh, the first ones kind of impacted by the by the actual effects of climate change but also the people who have been fighting on the front lines for the for so long and uh, whose voices really need to be integrated in in this conversation so tomorrow's workshop is indigenous environmental activism in the amazon can you tell us a bit about the speaker and and what people can expect from the workshop yeah so nina golinga is a truly really inspiring figure uh she's an international advocate for the rights of women indigenous peoples uh, and climate justice. Um, and she comes from a family of indigenous environmental activists. She's Swedish and Quechua from the Sarayaku community uh, in the Ecuadorian Amazon, where she was born and raised and where she's been involved in um, advocating for indigenous and territorial rights from a very early age. Um, there was an oil, there was a couple of oil, there was some oil companies who uh, in around 2011, I believe, uh, violently entered the Sarayaku lands uh, with military troops that were um, provided by the Ecuadorian government. And the people of Sarayaku successfully forced out the oil companies and the military and won a historic case against the government um, uh, at the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. And at 18 years old, uh, Nina Gualinga represented the youth of Sarayaku in the final hearing of the case, uh, which again, they won. So it was really the setting of a landmark precedent for indigenous rights across Latin America. Um, and throughout her life, she's been, you know, uh, a national and global advocate for the protection of the Amazon rainforest, indigenous rights, climate. She's a spokesperson for Mujeres Amazonicas, a movement that unites indigenous women in the Ecuadorian Amazon. Uh, and she's also a member of the Amazon Watch, uh, a board member of the Amazon Watch in uh, Sweden. And she's studying human rights at the University of Lund in, uh, in Sweden. She's also a mom. So she's really a, a, a wonderful figure. And she's going to be discussing, you know, her path, uh, her current challenges, what's going on in her community. Uh, communities and how social environmental justice are linked for her in her sort of lived experience and in and, and her activism. So I think that'll be a really wonderful, uh, wonderful talk and sort of 
I guess there's also a whole generation of youth because now she's maybe 26. Um, and she started all of this when she was like around 10 years old. Um, and uh, so there's a really nice sort of generation of youth kind of coming up uh, and kind of like taking no... Uh, I don't know if I should say uh, a bad word on, on the radio, but like taking none of it uh, from the sort of neoliberal, like, uh, you know, establishment trying to be like, hey, so this is really inspiring. It should be a really, really wonderful talk. Can you speak to why it's important uh, to include and center indigenous environmental activism in this series about environmental justice? Yeah, I think it's Really, uh, as I was mentioning before, uh, indigenous peoples and pe people, people of color, racialized people have been at the front lines and have been the first ones to ha to be victims of environmental destruction and the effects of climate change, which has been caused by, you know, extractivism and capitalist sort of greed and industrialized societies. Uh, but also because their organizing and activism has been so important um, and has been so central to on the ground work, um, which has not, which I think must be centered because we, you know, as I was saying, there's there's a sort of there's a danger of sort of environmental movements being co-opted by by far right by the far right um, to sort of, uh, you know. Um, even have you know, make sort of excuses for uh, for anti-migrant uh, and anti-immigration policies and saying that environmentalism is actually caused by too many people, which is false. There's an abundance in the world and, and you know, the, the problems we're seeing are caused by greed and by hoarding and by extractivism. Um, and also, I think these are the voices that point to a way forward that is... Um, that's a telling of a different story that we need to sort of put at the forefront. I'm currently reading uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer, who's a Potawatomi uh, scientist and uh, who talks about this, this idea of merging, not merging, but sort of re, um, reconcil reconciling indigenous wisdom, scientific knowledge, and these worldviews, which are quite different. Um, and she, she says, she cites actually Gary Nab, uh, Naban uh, and saying that we can't meaningfully proceed with healing, with restoration, without restoration. So in other words, uh, our relationship with the land cannot heal if, uh, until we hear its stories. And, but who will tell them? Um, and I think that this is uh, a really key question. And, and I think uh, the answer is indigenous uh, and, and, and people of color, because the more we sort of, the more we advance in sort of thinking through uh, how everything works together, the more we realize that there's a connection of all things and living beings and uh, even sort of like hyper advanced science kind of comes to these conclusions. It's like, well, this was part of sort of the knowledge of indigenous uh, peoples across all of all of the world since time immemorial. So, we we should be listening to those voices and those stories, um, because they point to a way out of the mess that um, capitalism, imperialism, and uh, 
and sort of extractivism have 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 the mess that they've gotten us into. So that's why it's important, according to myself and many others. In December uh, is a workshop on mycosymbiosis with William Patilla Brown. For our listeners who aren't familiar with this term, uh, or William, can you tell us a bit about microsymbiosis and its significance to environmental justice? Yeah, so mycosymbiosis is a kind of a, a term that uh, William Padilla Brown has coined. It's the name of uh, his mushroom research and production business based out of Pennsylvania. And mycosymbiosis comes from sort of compounding of two words, myco meaning which relates to mushrooms and fungi, um, and symbiosis, which is a close cooperative or interdependent relationship. So mycosymbiotics means... Um, a collective way uh, to strive to develop mutualistic uh, and beneficial relationships with all that is around us and the water, the, the, the people and, and other beings that we work with. Um, so, um, so I'll tell you a little bit about William. So William Padilla Brown is a social entrepreneur. He's a citizen scientist, meaning that he's a self-taught sort of uh, person who's worked on the ground and with with these 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 subjects uh, throughout his life, mycologist, which is someone who studies fungi and mushrooms, amateur phycologist, which means someone who studies algae, urban shaman, writer, vlogger, um, researcher, poet, father, musician, you name it. William is a, is is both a creative and a sort of scientific uh, person in a in a self taught and sort of. Symbiot symbiotic way. Um, so he is actually also a really important person because he uh, is the leading uh, person in the country or possibly in the world or at least in the English language uh, to have uh, written about the cultivation of a type of mushroom called cordyceps mushroom. So, um, so he's a really fan fascinating figure, a multifaceted uh, creative person. And he is going to talk about essentially his ideas around, you know, how we can look at mushrooms and, and fungi and learn how learn about how they work and sort of maybe find ways to integrate that into the way we um, we work within our social spheres and, and, and in our relationships with other living beings. So um, essentially, I. Um, I can sort of tell you a little bit more about the actual description of the talk. So he says homeostasis, which is um, the uh, the way biological systems self-regulate to maintain stability and continue to survive. So homeostasis will not be achieved without symbiosis with local systems, both social and ecological. Fungi are ancient organisms that have learned to live in balance with their local systems. Developing a mutually beneficial association with local fungi will lead to incredible insights, medicine, food security, ecological restoration, and much more. Follow my story into mycosymbiosis and learn how you can achieve symbiosis with your local systems by working and thinking like fungi. So, uh, so that's going to be really fascinating. And I think this is kind of goes in line with a, with a, with a kind of current movement to sort of like look at patterns in nature and try and sort of find ways to integrate those even in social systems because 
nature works really well. So we could probably look at some of the ways in which those things happen and mimic them. Uh, um, so, so that's going to be really fun. And uh, if you're into mushrooms and, and foraging and, and, and sort of like thinking about uh, collaboration, mutual aid, all of these things, I think that's going to be a fantastic talk. So I'm really looking forward to speaking. I'm a, I'm a super fan of William Padilla Brown too. So that's going to be like, I think I'm, I'm going to try and not be too like, you know, fangirly, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> With Montreal in lockdown, uh, as you mentioned, many events have transitioned to online this year. Can you tell us a bit about how this transition has been for Never Apart and this series? And if you have any learnings from adapting uh, to the circumstance, maybe in terms of how audiences connect? Yeah, um, so I think that it's an interesting sort of moment of as I was mentioning, um, you know, I can't really throw music events anymore, but this is maybe a time to sort of like uh, take a pause from that sort of socialization, even though I miss it. A lot of people do. And maybe take uh, take a take a chance, uh, take this opportunity to learn. And as I was saying, I think this moment opened up an interesting um educational opportunity for people who are not inside of academic settings to have access to speakers and lectures for free for the most part um, with people who would normally maybe yeah you would have to pay to see um, uh, and and all that stuff so that is kind of a positive point I think although of course there's um, there's the danger of like zoom fatigue because we those of those of us who work with computers and have to attend meetings and then sit for another uh for a workshop after being uh, sit, sitting all day you know of course I, I, that's you know something we can't really um work around very very much at the moment but i guess the way to do it is just to get people who have something really interesting to say and that people uh want to want to engage with and there's a sort of interactivity which is also allowed in these kinds of smaller uh, Zoom events where you can actually kind of directly ask a question to someone um, and have it addressed and uh, and even sort of interact in, in, in a direct way where you can actually kind of turn on your mic and, and ask a question. So there's both good and bad for from this moment, I think, but I there's an opportunity for citizen education, uh, which I think it's been important for, for us at Never Apart to sort of continue to um, think about how we can do it and this has been one way so getting people to uh, to connect over over certain topics and bring interesting speakers uh, to uh, to a to a public for free um, but of course there's challenges and uh, in terms of like you know how to uh, yeah how to there's a lot going on online so how do you uh, sort of uh, stand out well I think it's not really competition anyway it's been really wonderful up to now the the kind of engagement we've had so it just feels like you're creating these little spaces where people can chat and 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 learn for for free and and that's and that's really positive what do you hope people take away from the series I hope that uh, people uh, see some examples of what actually is being done uh, in the world by people who've been engaged with these questions for a while 
and that um, and letting those people speak in with their own stories in their own words. Um, of course, I hope to highlight the crucial role uh, of BIPOC activists and practitioners and their and their importance in the environmental justice movement. Um, I hope people find moments of wonder and dare I say hope um, from these stories uh, and encouraging people to get involved and find a, a little piece of, of something they can do for uh, for this moment. And um, because it is, yeah, it is, it's an overwhelming time. And I think that uh, for me, it's there's ups and downs. And I think a lot of people are feeling this. And I've certainly been absolutely um, moved and touched by talks that I've seen online recently. Uh, and I hope this is one of them for, for people um, and that it offers a space for for discussion um, and for, for further involvement. And if people want to learn more about Never Apart or attend the series, where can they go? Yeah, so uh, Never Apart, you can find Never Apart online on our website at neverapart.com. Uh, you can find this series uh, in the event section of the website. Um, but I've also made a little link if it's easier for people, a uh, bit.ly, a shorter link. So it's bit.ly slash CEG dash part one. That's maybe not the easiest, but I'll, uh, you can go to neverapart.com uh, and the event section and you'll see everything um, there on Eventbrite. You just need to register to get uh, for free to get the information and the links, the Zoom links, because it's happening on Zoom. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, you just uh, sort of sign, 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 sign up and, and get the info on your email uh, for the series. And we're hoping to do more uh, next season. I'm sort of working on the programming right now. Uh, this series is meant to be kind of fluid and flexible and sort of follow different themes. This, this, this fall section, the part one, was really focused on this idea of, uh, you know, how do, how do we merge these, these concepts? And food is going to be on the table, <laughs> uh, figuratively uh, and, and quite literally, hopefully. Um, discussions around, you know, different, uh, like, different other topics involving the idea of, like, you know, uh, our, our, our piece, how we fit into this whole piece of, of, uh, of the discussion around, uh, climate environment, uh, how, how this all fits together, our bodies, um, creativity, because I think, uh, you know, art and creativity is a part and aesthetics are, are, and have always been a part of social movements, uh, and aestheticizing our, you know, our values, um, via you know art making uh, banner making uh you know all of these things are part of of how how these um movements can create joy and can create uh belonging so all this to say it's open-ended it's gonna be uh it's gonna be announced uh, when it's when it when it's finalized but um join us for the first part and you'll probably get on the list uh to be able to see what's what's up next so uh hopefully you join us this would be great it's been really wonderful so far uh and uh yeah don't be shy uh come and come and chat with us thank you so much for chatting with me with dragon root today it was really 